Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, MC. I am a little pressed for time, so I'm just going to go right into it this evening. Uh, I'm not even going to discuss what I've watched, because, like I said, not a lot of time. So we'll start with a Yashimon. This will be uh, Chapter 6, Do Not Say His Name. Uh, so, uh, since last chapter... Uh, excuse me, the last couple of chapters, uh, Hashihime has been abducted by Chairman Dopo, uh, who is uh, one of the leaders, if I'm remembering correctly, of the Enma Syndicate. So, uh, let's go right into that scene real quick. Uh, he's telling you, for yokai, fear is like art. Flashy, eye-catching art. I love horrors, entertainment, manga, movies, all of it. I marvel at the clever ways humans have come up with to scare themselves. I also dabble in art, but I'm still an amateur. I haven't instilled enough fear in my art, in my art yet. And the same goes for you. I haven't instilled enough fear in you. That's why you dare hide things from the Enma crest. She says, I, don't, I told you, sir, I don't know anything. There must be a mistake. But don't panic. It's not like I'm threatening to kill you or anything. It's not like destroying an Ayashimon's body does much anyway. Their spirit remains. That's why none of us really fear death, so I try to come up with, with ways other than murder to settle my scores. And it shows a couple of uh, like tapestries and uh, hides of former uh, Yashimon that he has made... And he asks her, yeah, well, isn't my art spectacular? You'll be the newest piece in my collection. I'll lop your head off and tack it onto this painting here. You know you have a pretty voice, too. Maybe I'll leave you lungs to scream. We can do that, right, Mizuha? And this one of his assistants. And she says, uh, yeah, that we can, sir. Uh, she doesn't require human flesh to survive. Even if her body is reduced to a few chunks, as long as we keep feeding it money, she'll survive. She'll be like a living piggy bank. And Hashikimi begs, like, wait, please, I've loyally served the Enma Syndicate for ages. Well, even Chairman Kiyo himself, and uh, Dopa grabs her. He says, do not say his name in front of me. Then he lets her go. says, I kid, I kid. I have to act threatening every once in a while, too. And uh, there's an interruption. I believe this is number 11 was his name of the Amyo branch. He says, oh, wow, I see the second-generation Enma Syndicate's taste is as questionable as ever. What's, what is with that odd collection of AGs? But anyway, hello there, Mr. Dopo. I brought an addendum to our discussion the other day. The Anmyo Bureau, huh? Well, by the way, I happen to notice you've gathered a lot of people outside. Now, now, you must go starting any street wars, not in times like these. Just think what it'd do to our reputation. I thought you guys were hands-off when it came to beef be beefs between a Yashiman. Well, yes, we are, but only to a point, you know. Could you not cause any headaches, please? We'd appreciate it if... And his assistant tries to attack number 11, but he managed to dodge. He says, oh dear, you're inside my barrier, but you can move. And he's attacked from behind uh, by one of the other thugs. <clears throat> and she says, you know, uh, oh no, don't you dare. Yep, Maga Plus put them all out of order again. Oh well. That's what I get for rushing things. Like I said, I just don't have the time tonight. Uh, he says, hold it, both of you. And number 11 has uh, swept to the uh, ceiling. He says, whoa, 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 no violence, no violence. You'll make me take you in on obstruction of just of duty? Uh, <clears throat> and he's asked if he uh, is there to start a grudge with him. He says, no, that was for personal safety, thanks. Anyway, on to business. I came here to bring you photos of the two undocumented, that's all. And he leaves. And Dopa looks at the picture, and he asks Hashihime if she knows, you know, who they are, and she continues to say no, uh, being very loyal to Urara in this moment. So Dopo leaves, and he goes to talk to his underlings. Uh, he says, as he's checking his mic, says, testing, testing, thanks for coming and stuff. Sorry to bug you so late at night. Thanks and sorry. 
So today's gangsters lack manliness. They don't follow the code like they should. So many betray us, even now, as your chairman, it makes me sad. They've completely forgotten who they must fear. That's why there are so many idiots who turn against the Inma Syndicate. Idiots like the Todoroki Alliance, Kori Hotels, B-Stars Clubs, even the Onmyo Bureau behind, hiding behind their anti-organized crime laws. It's time this town remembered who they should fear. We need to remind them that the Inma Syndicate's name is to be respected. Accordingly, we won't let even the tiniest of rats run free. Find these two, make a public example of them, and kill the crap out of them. And uh, he shows pictures of Urata and Maruo. And he continues, The true art of, Ayash of the Ayashiman is fear. A gangster should be flashy, and so we will be. So definitely heating things up in the Ayashiman. I cannot say that word for the life of me tonight. Ayashiman world. Maybe because I'm just trying to rush things. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, really looking forward to this means. Uh, obviously, these are going to be you know the, some of the first uh, batches of villains. Well, they're all villains in this case that uh, Urata and Maru are going to have to face. So I'm looking forward to that. So instead of keeping on with that, we will move on to Black Clover. Uh, this is page 317. Change. So we start with Yuno uh, being amped up by Mimosa. He's creating uh, an arrow with his magic called Spirit of Euros, to attack the gigantic monster in front of them that Asta had slashed as well. And Asta says, you know, just what I expected. It made such an entrance. And, you know, it says Asta's name. Uh, Patri manages to catch, uh, catch William Vengeance and save him from falling. As uh, Yami is saved as well. And he tells all the Black Bulls, good work, you idiots. To which the hive mind says, thanks, sir. I Meanwhile, Noct is looking off, but in the midst of this, as people are cheering, a demon or devil appears, and he asks uh, some of the uh, Spade Kingdom randos, what are you people dawdling for? You really should get out of here, you know. And Noct sees him and goes, a supreme devil. From the second level? And the devil continues, Lucifero's manifestation is half finished. As it appears in the sky, in a very awesome panel from Tabata, uh, you gotta say, loving that. And the demon continues, as uh, devil continues, all of you bow your heads. Oh no, this is Lucifer himself. And everyone, except for Asta, falls to the ground. Asta says, what the? And the devil flash steps right next to him, says, so it was you, hmm? The fool who kept me from manifesting completely. So, things are bad. <laughs> In Black Clover, uh, not really looking forward to what they're going to have to do now because it took a lot out of them to get where they're at to take down the Dark Triad and Lucifero is only 50% at this point in time manifested if I remember correctly so and Asta has used all of Devil Union as well so he's not going to be able to rely on that uh, he's about to run out yeah he's about to run out that's what it is so interested to see where things will go from there I've learned to stop triggering myself with that word <laughs> And we will move on from there in this speed round edition of the podcast to Blue Box, Chapter 34, Girls. Uh, start off at the festival. Chinatsu is with her friends. As some of them notice, they say, hey, look who we have here. Aren't those first years from our schools? The gymnastics girl and the badminton boys. They see Hina and Taiki. You think they're on a date? I, said, oh, I wish I came in a yukata. Her, her hairstyle is so cool. I ought to be young again. 
she says that she's only one year older. So we flash over to Taiki and Hina walking as she's eating from the candy apple, and he's thinking, she's so quiet. I don't think she's ever gone this long without saying anything before. And he says, I'm going to go buy some yakisoba, huh? And he walks away from her, and uh, she takes some time to herself to think, like, I'm so nervous. I thought I wanted to go with just him, but then Kyo had to suddenly drop out. She starts freaking out. After eating that candy apple, my lipstick's probably all gone. I hope my bangs aren't mussed up and my obi's not twisted. And she closes her eyes to try and focus herself. She says, the truth is, I want him to really notice me. I worked hard on this get-up, so if I can if I can just get him to think I look cute. But I'm also worried that I look weird. I've never dressed up like this before, so a part of me is embarrassed. I want him to see me, but also not see me. And go over to Taiki as he's uh, looking. He's bringing out a mat for them to watch the fireworks with. And there's the awkward moment before it happens, and looking everywhere but at each other. He says, I think we have another 10 minutes. Yeah. Beat panel. You need anything to drink? I'm okay. And he's thinking, here I'm trying to act like everything's normal, but something's definitely up with her. And a mosquito comes uh, to try and attack her. And uh, she manages to swat it away. And he asks her, hey, you want to use my anti-itch cream? And she says, thanks. And he applies it himself, uh, looking at the nape of her neck, awakening something inside of him. <laughs> so he might kill her, kill her as a titan, but probably not today. And he thinks, oh great, this is more awkward than I thought it'd be. And she's thinking, hurry it up already. <laughs> and there's a little bit of her hair has come loose. Did you do your hair yourself, Hina? She says, yeah. Why do you ask? I'm just surprised you have such a delicate touch. <laughs> She says, are you making fun of me? Is it not at all. I'm honestly impressed. It sounds like you're trying to get on. It, uh, she says, it sounds like you're trying to get under my skin. Ah, did some of it come loose? You really are trying to rile me up. He says, don't twist my words. It's not easy to do, but you worked hard at it. I thought it looked cute, so I was giving you a compliment. He says, huh? Cute? And he's thinking, girls really are amazing. But then she says out loud, say that again. <laughs> As the fireworks start going up. And she starts smiling. And he's thinking, that one word cute has her looking so happy. Girls? And he finishes. Uh, he doesn't finish that thought. And we're told there's going to be a 20-minute break. So he says, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. And she's still like living off that compliment. Saying, he said I look cute. As he leaves, he's thinking, good thing it's still not too crowded. Maybe I'll buy something to drink. I wonder if there's anything Hina would want. And he hears uh, someone asking, are you lost? And we find this is Shinatsu with a little girl. She's trying to find uh, her mother. And Shinatsu says, you fell down. Let's get to the first aid station first and to put a Band-Aid on you. And she starts singing, singing a song like, pain, pain, go away. And as she turns around, she notices Taiki there. And that's how the chapter ends. So. Wow. Uh once again, continuing on the uh, love triangle here, um, Shinatsu definitely a little jealous of what Hina has right now, and Hina obviously jealous of what, you know, Taiki has the obvious interest in her, and you know, getting that compliment of being called cute is definitely messing with her right now, so we'll see how that goes on uh, as we'll continue through the rest of the series. Sorry, I, I, I can't help but corpse when Boruto comes up. Well, moving on. 
to Boruto, uh, number 65, uh, Karma Power, Karma Power, Radioactive Karma Power. <laughs> Thanks to the two of you who got that joke. And the one person who laughed. So, uh, Boruto, unfortunately, is down on the ground, and it looks like Momoshiki has uh, managed to manifest uh, in the midst of this. As he tries to get up, but he can't move because he's used all of his chakra. And he remembers how the karma was implanted inside of him. And Momoshiki says, Worthless karma drags. He's the one who has the divine tree seedling. Ten tails, isn't he? What a perfect chance to kill him. Uh, move aside, boy. And uh, Boruto stands up, now being uh, controlled by Momoshiki. As he uses a Rasengan. Uh, a little more massive, I think, than Boruto has been able to do at this point. And Code manages to evade. Says, ridiculous destructive power. So totally different from Boruto's karma strength. So this is true Osutsuki power. No wonder Boro had no chance. And Mabushiki says, it'll be the same for you. You'll learn soon enough. And we pass over to Amato, uh, who's talking about how they've noticed that, you know, uh, Code has already encountered Kawaki and them. Uh, Sai and Sumire are discussing this as well. As Amato keeps asking you as shifty as possible, uh, throws away a cigarette. So we'll move on. Uh, Boruto slash Mamoshiki uses another Rasengan and another and another. As Ida contacts Code through their link, says, Code, you might want to retreat. There's no way you hold up against an, an opponent that powerful. And Kawaki is looking at Boruto and seeing him <clears throat> being controlled gets him distracted enough for Code to get behind him and use him as a hostage. He says, whoa there, don't you want to chakra fruit, uh, fruit too, Momoshiki? Then you'll need him for, as your Otsutsuki sacrifice to feed the Ten Tails. You might want to stand down. I'm taking you with me for a private matter. It was brief, but still an honor to meet you, Otsutsuki Momoshiki. He tries to leave, but uh, Momoshiki uh, condenses his Rasengan to a Rasendan, uh, Don, of course, meaning bullet, uh, to my Dragon's Dogma fans out there from the original opener, where I remember Dangan uh, as part of that song. Dangan, also meaning bullet, if I remember correctly, which manages to only hit Code. And then Momoshiki hits Code in the face as he's saying, what a dud karma. You can't even absorb jutsu with it, can you? And Ida's asking you know, Code if, she, if he can cure her in the midst of this, but he won't talk back. And Momoshiki says, hey now, there's no way to talk to the one who rescued you. Be nice or I'll break all your limbs and shut up. As he's trying to take Kawaki away from him, away with him, but uh, Kawaki tries to resist, but gets beaten down for all of his efforts. It's at this point that Naruto comes in and saves Kawaki as Shikamaru tries to take down uh, Momoshiki with his uh, shadow technique. He's saying, is Boruto running amok again? What a pain in the butt. Uh, but before the shadow can fully reach him, Momoshiki is able to just, uh, absorb it. And Ida uh, says, and now it's total mayhem. What are you going to do? I think you should call it a day. Code says, his second Nara Shikamaru is here too. Interesting. And Naruto asks, uh, are you, you okay, Kabuki? What's going on with Boruto? Has Momoshiki taken over his body again? And Kabuki says, I ain't okay at all. Why the heck did you, did you come? Run away, hurry, or else you really will get killed. Naruto says, 
I appreciate your concern, but I'm the Hokage. I cannot and will not run from an enemy that threatens my village. This is no Lord Seven. But... <laughs> and the worst part of the chapter, Shikamaro has been taken by surprise. Which, you know, we've established that Code can do that early in the chapter, so it makes sense for him to take Shikamaru, you know, one of the greatest tactical minds in the Naruto universe, and certainly, you know, I would never think that my favorite character in the series would be taken down in such an easy way. So he uses Shikamaru as a hostage. As you may have noticed, I'm a little upset. <laughs> and Shikamaru tries to get Naruto to attack him anyways. And uh, Momoshiki speaks up and says, Fascinating. I think I shall help you, Code. Kill the Hokage, that is. He's a nuisance to me as well. Uh, Shikamaru tries to get him a fight again, but uh, Momoshiki takes down Kawaki with a kick. And Code tells Naruto not to move or else Shikamaru would die. And Momoshiki says, Checkmate, Hokage. Resign yourself. No matter how strong one is, the end is often pitifully abrupt. It's massive Rasengan. And to attack Naruto with, but it's getting absorbed. And we go back to Amato who's thinking, is it powerlessness that's irritating you or grief over losing the karma? So take it for yourself, especially since Ishiki's gone for good. Brand new power in the form of karma that's purely a weapon as Kawaki has managed to absorb it by using his own karma. And that is the end of the chapter. And not a moment too soon. <laughs> oh my gosh, Porto has gone so downhill. I wish I had time to go in depth of like everything that I'm not a fan of right now. I mean, the Shikamaru thing is a big one. I mean, obviously with the, the depowering of Naruto and Sasuke so that the new generation can have a moment in this series is another one, but... I'm just going to move on real quick to uh, Dr. Stone. Uh, Z equals uh, 223 uh, 0 is the chapter. Uh, there was a don't blush second, Mason, but for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to say uh, Kaoru falls in love with the maid outfit person that uh, Taka, uh, Takadono was pretending to be. So, oh no, there's all that's happening. So, we'll go to Dr. Stone. So, uh, Kohaku, Senku, and Stanley have all suited up. They're uh, nice black uh, astronaut suits. And uh, Kohaku's talking one less time to Ruri. Senku's talking one less time to Chrome. And Stanley and Zeno are having a totally heterosexual moment between the two of them. As per usual, as, as Zeno gives him... Uh, some chewing tobacco shaped like cigarettes in a totally, totally platonic manner. <laughs> like, there's still some people who don't think that's a thing, and that's why I'm laughing. I'm not laughing because of their relationship. For those of you out there, it's just people are denying reality, and it just makes me laugh. Uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, Sukasa saying, Kohaku, between your martial arts and Stanley's marksmanship, the two of you should be able to handle any moon combat as the ultimate fighting force. And Yusui says, <laughs> You stole my ride to space, Stanley, so I expect you to do your job. Beat Y-Man and make it back safely. Am I wrong? Or rather, can you do it? And Stanley says, Yeah, I can. As I have, uh, it's kind of that moment, uh, they're in a uh, kind of bubble space where 
they can't physically talk to uh, excuse me they can't physically interact with people but people on the outside can touch the you know a little plastic in between them on their way to the spaceship they have a fist bump and luna's freaking out she says oh, i knew this be too much my first time seeing Sinku in like forever and he's got to risk his neck in space is what she's thinking she says, who? Me? Worried? Not at all. Sometimes I wonder if I'm too smooth for my own good. Sinku's obviously going to succeed and come back to me. And Sinku says, yeah, relax. The historical death rate for humans is only like 5%. No, that's not reassuring! <laughs> As Suiko's looking off at the launch, saying, right, today's today. The moon launch feels like a big party. But what if the rocket fails like all those times? Engin says, it's fine. Really, take. After all, our space cadets will be petrified for takeoff, right? So even if the launch fails and they're blown up, we can just gather the fragments and revive them. <laughs> uh, and Gin says, it'll be fine. Yes, just fine. As he's worrying as well. I mean, and Taiju speaks up and says, no way we fail. And if worse comes to worse, I'd spend decades finding all your little stone bits so that you Zuriha could piece you back together. And Senku smiles and says, you two are so hardworking. I bet you'd try. No, Senku, not try. We do it. You can count on that. Yeah? You just might. And everyone else is cheering them on. Uh, Kaseki is met by Joel, and the two of them speak. And uh, Joel says, Now we can have our toast, as fellow engineers of the stone world. And Kaseki says, It's been years since using one of these batteries. Time to wake up, little Medusa. And they both uh, work together to enable the Petra Beam that is going to cause them to... Uh, be petrified while I go off to space. <clears throat> and we get 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And Sinkus thinks, it's always so quiet being petrified. Can't hear a thing out there. Can't even feel any vibrations. But assuming Zeno's moving according to plan, no, I know for a fact he is, then right now the countdown is at 5. <laughs> this brings back memories. From when I got hit with the Petra Beam. For 30... 3,700 years, I, I sat counting by the seconds go by. But now I'm counting down. We get <clears throat> two, one. By humanity's wits, by the power of science, we've reversed the petrification of our world back to zero, and now we're departing that very world. Zero, as the rocket uh, launches off into space, and that is the end of the chapter. Uh, excellent hype chapter for Dr. Stone. Um, this is uncharted territory here. Uh, so we're going to learn, like, uh, where does the white man come from? Uh, when they land on the moon, is it an AI like some people think? Or is it a, a scientist, perhaps, who uh, figured out the petrification and then petrified himself you know, to you know, make sure humanity didn't you know, mess up the world or something like that and only comes out of petrification every now and then because it does kind of reverse some aging parts, you know, to check up on the world. We'll see. So we'll move on from uh, Dr. Stone to Duran-Duran. Uh, Duran-Duran. Uh, chapter 4, Combined Strength. So we start with Ginchiyo telling uh, Dora and Kusanagi, you're late. Didn't we agree that when I call for you, you come right away? And Dora says, you got to be kidding. It's three in the morning. What would you expect? She says, is that what you'll say if a Mononoke kills someone? And they both perk up at that. She says, first off, most Mononoke attacks happen at night, so be ready to go at all times. And Dora looks at Kusanagi and says, is that so? 
Uh, well, yes, our supernatural energies increase increase at night. If the two of you stop being useful, I'll have to eliminate that Mononoke. There's, <clears throat> excuse me. There's no place for losers in this game. Dora says, got it. And Kusanagi says, we'll do better. So, where's the Mononoke? She says, there isn't one. This was a test. And you go, what? She says, uh, just kidding. Come with me as she walks away. Uh, is there a Mononoke here? Uh, there's been a number of disappearances and Mononoke sightings in these woods lately. We tried sealing off the area and patrolling it, but so far nothing. Just now I detected some faint traces of supernatural energy. If it senses humans, it's bound to come. And she falls down on the ground. He says, Adora says, oh, please, what kind of samurai falls on her butt? She says, oh, my legs gave out. I'm not a samurai. I'm just a regular person and my legs gave out. What are you talking about? Now let's see how you protect me. As Obviously, this is her acting to see what he's capable of. As this giant pig Mononoke called Yamakujira appears. He says, I want to eat human. I want to crunchy, crunchy their bones. And she thinks, I could tell from its tracks that it was hiding in the ground. It finally came out. But what's surprising is that Mononoke sacrificed itself to save us. So Mononoke, how shocking, because uh, it ate Kusanage, uh, Kusanagi in the midst of all this. And she thinks, perhaps it actually was a good guy, but this is where it ends. But Dora stops her and says, you're a regular person, right? Then don't go for your katana. You're supposed to let us protect you. You can't do anything on your own. She's, uh, she's saying back to him, you've got zero supernatural energy. Quit acting tough. Don't underestimate us. As the uh, Mononoke attacks them, he picks her up to carry her away. And she kind of crosses her arms. Looks, I'm not into the whole being carried like a princess thing, especially by you. You think I care? But until Kusanagi comes back, it's up to me to protect you. She says, comes back. She says, that's right. I believe in Kusanagi. And inside of the pig Mononoke, Kusanagi has kind of uh, shifted his head to kind of be like a woodpecker and drills into the sides of the stomach of the Mononoke, which causes some uh, discomfort, but that's about it. As Dora and Genshio are running away, uh, he says, oh, God, I can make sharp turns. Hey, you okay? She says, put me down. You don't stand a chance. You don't have any supernatural energy. One more blow and you're dead. Uh, Kusanagi freaks out inside, and uh, the the boar uh, manages to attack them from underground, and uh, burps up uh, Kusanagi because of slight case of indigestion it was causing him. And Kusanagi, uh, excuse me, Dora asks him, "What'd you do? It was totally freaking out." And Kusanagi says, "Remember that time?" And you get a flashback to them dealing with mosquitoes. And he says, attacking it didn't work, so I just tickled it a bunch from the inside. <laughs> that was clever. And uh, Genshio thinks, unbendable wills, absolute dedication to saving people, ingenuity, and strong fighting skills as uh, Dora manages to use Kusanagi in blade form to attack and kill the pig, boar, Mononoke. She thinks, those are their strengths. And she says, I'm so awesome. I recruited a red-haired punk and a wimpy-looking Mononoke. Call it instinct. Call it a good eye. Call it intuition. Yep. I'm amazing. <laughs> As they both think, oh, what a weirdo. And the chapter ends. This was fun. Uh, I, I appreciated Genshio acting like, oh, well, 
I'm just a regular person right now, so I can't do anything. So I gotta see what you're actually capable of to protect me, which is an affecting teaching strategy. Uh, kind of the sink or swim mentor, which is always nice to have. So we will move on from that to Dragon Ball Super. This is chapter 79, uh, Gas versus Granola. Um, <clears throat> in the midst of this, uh, Elek is uh, talking to one of his underlings about how uh, you know they can move a little closer to the battle, but at this point he's got one more urgent errand to handle. As uh, we flash over to uh, Minato being uh, pressured by... Uh, Oh gosh, uh, Maki and Oil. And Oil is about to hit him uh, to interrogate him. And Vegeta gives uh, Granola the Sensu Bean, which instantly heals him. He says, uh, What is this? One moment I was down for the count, but now this is incredible. Vegeta says, Go on, don't waste a Sensu Bean. Granola flashes in front of Minaito and he says, The old man's off limits and hits both of them with an attack as. Goku is about to be speared by uh, <clears throat> uh, Gas, who says, Your energy has been restored. Were you healed somehow? And Manito uh, gets his attention, says, Don't forget your partner, Granola, and he throws uh, oatmeal to him. He says, I swear, if you ever chuck me aside again, Granola says, Sorry about that, oatmeal. Does the universe the strongest have no need of my support? No. I'll always want you backing me up. And he powers up with after he puts uh, oatmeal on him. He says, get down here, Gas. You're here to fight me. And Gas throws Goku to the ground. He says, just so. And he manifests some uh, key shields to attack uh, <clears throat> Granola. To face off of each other. Granola is using his patented little finger gun techniques to attack the shields over and over again. Uh, Gas press, presses the attack, but Granola manages to get him off of him real quick. Uh, Gas makes some energy daggers or kunai to attack him and oatmeal is uh telling granola in this fight uh, your heart rate is elevated remain calm and focus and he says got it so, ah wait there's a wrecking ball incoming from above uh also created by gas he manages to catch it and gas uses this to bring out his little wolverine claws to uh, attack granola in the uh midst of this but Granola catches, uh, who has caught all the kunai from before, uh, says, these tricks don't work on me anymore. And Goku asks, how's Granola holding up? Vegeta says, as well as his opponent, or better. Oh yeah? Nice. Not surprised. And Oatmeal says, not so fast, Granola. You're surrounded by his projectiles. There are 46 of them within a 40, uh, 50 Chia Seed radius. Chia Seed? <laughs> Whatever that is. Oh, I think maybe this is Manga Plus messing up again. Oh, well. Uh, but he manages to beat uh, Gas back with a punch. And Vegeta says, Gas only achieved the title of Strongest a bit ago. And Goku says, so yeah, he so he can't make full use of his power yet. Uh, just like Granola at first. I suspect so. Uh, Granola presses the attack. And Vegeta says, the gap between them is evident. This is Granola's chance. But why is Gas sticking to just th that one move using those strange weapons? Hard to say. Perhaps he gained that ability from the wish to become the strongest. And Manita says, no. Gas has always used this weapon as he creates out of nothing. 
and he manages to create uh, these blades, like spinning like on a tractor or something to attack. Granola manages to deflect them, and Granola asks, why? Why rely solely on that arsenal of yours? And uh, actually says, oh, excuse me, Maki says, I get it. Gas wants to beat Granola with his own strength. And, uh, excuse me, Granola says, didn't that wish give you new powers to use? And Maki continues, it ain't that Gas can't wield his newfound power the right way. He just doesn't want to. Granola says, if this is all you got, then you're done for. But Gas says, I consider this a failure on my part. I had hoped to kill you with the technique I've honed. And he goes in front of Granola and counters one of his attacks, hits him, hits him back, says, ah, I knew it. You were holding back your new strength. As he flash steps in front of him, uh, excuse me, instant teleportation, transmission, he says, any abilities you have gained are now mine as well. And he punches Granola in the gut. My power is far superior to yours. And they both try an instant transmission around to avoid each other. And Vegeta says, that looked like destruction. He never needed those extra weapons. And Gas says, I see now. As he holds a fist out, Granola says, I never thought taking you down would actually be that easy. Well, go on. What can the strong universe's strongest muster? I've still got plenty of fight left in me. They continue brawling back and forth with one of each other, and Goku's freaking out. It's like, are they for real? They're both using instant teleportation like it's nothing? I wonder why they're uh, translating it like teleportation instead of transmission. Is there a reason for that? Uh, send us an email. Tell, let me know. <laughs> or tweet at us. Uh, like it's nothing. And I struggled so hard to learn that move. And Goku's not one to complain uh, as easily as he learned to Kamehameha. Hypocritical human at its finest. Vegeta says, Gas still isn't familiar with that move. He both speed and power, yes, but have you ever seen instant teleportation used so sloppily? Goku says, you're right. But if nothing else, Granola wields it more accurately. He still stands a chance. And that is the end of the chapter. Um, so, this is a really good fight. Uh, it's really difficult to describe uh, fights. I mean, as we've noted before, I'm, I'm really bad at that. It's more of a, oh, wow, wow, oh, that's so cool. And this, this is good Dragon Ball. Um, once again, I mean, ever since the manga has come out, the Super, there have been complaints all over the board. I mean, some of them very justified. I, uh, the way the, the Moro arc kind of went, it's like, oh, well, oh, give Vegeta a chance. Oh, no, he can't do anything. Oh, 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 Goku screwed up again. It's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I'm actually, I'm enjoying this. And I'm inter interested to see what comes next. So we'll move on from there to the Elusive Samurai, uh, Chapter 44, Bonds 1335. So uh, after the loss, uh, everyone has returned to Suwa Shrine. We get some narration saying the Kukushi was unable to achieve his main objectives, but the Suicide's members deepened their bonds. The Kukushi had pestered them for two years with accusations of loyalty to the Hojo clan. Eventually, the Mikado issued a command for their subjugation and labeled them his enemies. They now shared in the, real, the realization that only a major uprising could save their lands, and they became determined to fight together. So at Suwa, um, 
uh, Tokyuki is down, says, I ain't having to report a lost battle. Uh, but Iyaku speaks up, says, don't worry, Tokyuki-sama. Your Shige-sama will be overjoyed that you survived. Look, whenever you leave for a battle, he erects a hut over there for, for performing ab ablutions and solitude and praying for your safety. And Tokyuki thinks, in this season, if he's willing to dump cold water over himself, he must really care about me. This battle helped me realize that he and I share the same goal. Restoring the Hojo means helping the people of Shinano. Together, we will seek to rule Japan. And he opens up the uh, tent and says, I'm back, Yoroshige Dono. <laughs> Only to find him in a robe in the midst of a hot spring <laughs> with all the food he could want and a rubber ducky. <laughs> As everyone notices, and Yoroshige is enjoying a hot spring. He found it with his divine sight and brought snacks and sake. While we were risking our lives, you were living in luxury, you stupid Miyoji. Uh, I think this is uh, a Gimba saying this. No, he says, no, I, I just finished my ablutions. And Yako is pouring cold water over him. He says, are you enjoying the warm water? The, really, it's okay. Who said it has to be cold? Tokyuki says, maybe I can't get along with him after all. And the narration continues, the Suicide may have lost lands in a recent crash, but its members had bonded closer together. As uh, even uh, Shizuku hits him as well. <laughs> so above all, Tokiyuki and Yoroshige were more strongly aligned in their objectives, as the entire entire Suwa camp looked toward a major conflict in perfect solidarity, or so it seemed. Uh, yeah, uh, Shizuku, sorry, sometimes it's difficult to tell us when you do. Says it's morning, Nisama. Wake up. To Tokiyuki, says, "Go on without me. I'm still tired from battle." She says, "No, I must comb and tie your hair. If you don't, Father will rub cheeks with you." All right, I'll get up. She says, your hair is so pretty. Even after a battle, it's in good condition. Tokiyuki-sama, you've received your adult name, but you haven't adopted an adult hairstyle. He says, the chief vassals told us not to cut our hair. My older brother did it anyway. And Yoroshige says, Shizuku, his hair is good luck. It is? And in narration, it says, in those days, people believed that hair that had never been cut signified purity. They also viewed children as vessels of holy power, so a child with uncut hair was doubly lucky. And Yoshige continues, Thus, I did not seek to cut your hair either. In battle, warriors seek good luck. Leadership by a child with such splendid long hair is good for morale. However, should you achieve your goals, you cannot keep your childish long hair. If you do reclaim your rule, um, may I cut your hair? And Tokiyuki says, yes, sure. And so the narration says, uh, cutting someone's hair me means becoming an eboshi oya, that is one who serves as witness at a coming of age ceremony and thereby becomes like a parent. And that's all right with me. He's thinking, sometimes he plays tricks on me. He's selfish and demanding and nags me to study. But he also embraces me and comes to my aid when I need it. I guess I've come to think of him as a father. And But in the midst of this, his hair is grabbed by uh, a child who says, uh, Listen, you, don't get puffed up just because you're the Kojo kid. I became a god, so I'm higher than you. And Toki is figuring out, like, who's this kid? As uh, Yoroshige's son, uh, Tokitsugu, saying, uh, Tokiku-sama, I apologize for being unable to see you more often. You two are meeting for the first time. This is my son, Yor Yori-sugu. And it says, oh, what's wrong, Yori-sugu? Are you done saying hello? 
and he flashes from the demon face we saw earlier to an angelic face and says, Yes, father. My admiration for him made me nervous, so I got carried away and startled him. He says, oh, How rude. My apologies, Tokiyuki-sama. And the child says, Come on, I want to go see my grandfather. Tokiyuki's narration continues, I was surprised to learn Yoroshige Dono had a grandchild. But what did he mean about being a god? And and he's interrupted as he is attacked by the god technique companion calf killer. <laughs> Only gods may deploy this special move, which consists of kicking an opponent's calves every other step when walking side by side. <laughs> it's kind of kind of like the uh, the narration that'll happen whenever uh, uh, Reagan will use one of his special techniques. <laughs> Self defense. Uh. So, gosh, uh, child's name, Yorisugu. Yorisugu says, let's get something straight. Which is higher, a god or a hojo? And Toki freaks out and says, he's twisted. This kid's totally twisted. Um, so I've seen a lot of people who aren't big on the introduction of this new character. I'm not myself, if I'm being honest. I mean, I'm not going to say, like, this is the worst character in, you know, in the manga so far. I'd say, well, uh, it's only been a chapter. It, he's a child who's been raised in an environment where he's supposed to believe that he is this higher power. So, I mean, uh, becoming a brat makes perfect sense to me. I mean, how many uh, rich kids do the same? How many members of royalty did the same? So, I get it. I'm trying to be a little patient as someone who has often worked with children. It's like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, and I'm going to temper those bad ideas you got in your head there, but uh, don't get too far away, kid. There is discipline coming your way, if need be. So we'll move on to uh, Fire Force, uh, chapter 295, entitled Meeting. So in narration, we get situated third closest to the sun. There existed a watery planet. Now in its stead exists a second sun. There is nothing left of what, of what used to thrive on that planet. Now remains only black flames and despair. This fate is the result of the planet's humanity's unconscious desire for despair, and the saint's duty uh, to see to it that God's revelation was fulfilled to the end. Uh, but we see Shinra and Sho and his mother are all uh, holding each other's hands, levitating above it. it. Says we can create miracles. And all masses, you're opposing both God's revelation and the unconscious. How wretched! And it's because of the fact that you relentlessly plot against it until the end that makes you devils. Shin says, brother, just what are you planning on doing? And Shinra says, what to do? And Shin says, as much as I hate to admit it, we're in a very desperate situation. So she said, mom was the evangelist doppelganger, and a saint can't tell lies, right? The evangelist's despair and mom's hope. The fact that she showed up must mean there's still a sliver of hope left. She says, but despite that, what can we really do? And Shinra says, what is the evangelist up to? She's always standing behind a saint like that. And she says, the saint and the evangelist have become one and the same. She's shouldering despair on her back. Show, mom, if that's how it is, then we're carrying hope in our hearts. And the two of them, uh, excuse me, the three of them, uh, continue holding hands. And Shinra says, within my heart, our three souls unite as one. We get soul resonance. As... A very familiar figure appears uh, behind them with the little wisp of smoke. And now Shinra has become this uh, 
I'm guessing it's red based on the way it's textured in the black and white. Uh, he says, <clears throat> To the planet of the black despair, with a heart praying with hope, I have come to meet you. Shinra, Bancho Man. He says, Hope can't be stopped, and I can't stop smiling. Let's get us a verdict. Hope or despair? Let me see, Homei is crying as a result of this, and the chapter has ended. So, definitely another hype chapter from Fire Force. Really looking forward to what comes next. But for the sake of brevity, we're going to move on uh, to a new addition to the podcast, uh, a spinoff series of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, this is... Oh, gosh. What is the actual name? Uh, Crazy Diamond's Demonic Heartbreak. And you thought the other titles were weird. Um, so we start with narration. Uh, it says, I saw a bird. It was there the day I lost someone very important to me in Egypt. Like an astute observer, trying to note every event that happened below, it was circling the sky. We go to March 1999, Cairo, Egypt. And you will notice this is before the events of uh, Part 4. And Whole Horse. Everyone's favorite character who, oh gosh, we knew was still alive, but uh, was out of commission, or however they used to say it in Part 3. Is uh, called in to locate a woman's lost parrot. And the reason he's taken such an interest in it is because if this missing parrot has the same training as Pet Shop, then it might also be, he's thinking probably a stand user. And she's begging him because the Speedwagon Foundation will kill you know, her parrot you know, if they find it. And he says, well, if a pretty woman's looking at me like that, young or old, I just can't say no. That's all whole, whole horse's way. <laughs> I really like whole horse. Uh, at one point in time, for those of you in the know, like he was considered to become part of uh, the Stardust Crusaders, uh, but I'm glad he did not become that because you know he did. You thought he killed Avdol, and I'm not big on adding someone like that just yet, unless they're becoming repentant. He's not a repentant kind of person. Maybe that'll change in this. We'll see. It's been nine years. Wait, no, ten years. So Whole Horse is checking his clock, says eight-tenths of a second off. And for those of you that will remember, this really screwed him over, uh, I think it was when he was with Boingo. Boingo or Boingo. I can't remember which of the two. Uh, and attacking the uh, Joestar group. And <clears throat> uh, this caused him to lose the fight because his watch was off. And it's also, I think, kind of the effect of the way Dio messed with time travel. He probably figured that out at some point in time, so he wants his watch to be correct. So he says, oh, come on, if my watch is off like this, it's bad enough to luck to kill a man. So he's told by this random person on the street that he can't go the way he's wanting to go. Uh, but he uh, brings out a stand, uh, the emperor, if I'm remember, remembering correctly, which is in the form of a gun, and he's pointing it upwards. And the kid obviously can't see it because he doesn't have uh, a stand. And he uses his bullets, fires them off to attack all the potted plants that he has uh, to make it look like the kid messed with someone else's plants. And he walks off into the street and he says, Hey, Kenny G, didn't you get the signal? 
I'm not telling you to call off your ability or anything, but at least give me a sign. Forget only if you call off your stand, whole horse. Hey, hey. And he holsters his stand, walks through the corridor, gets next to a room, and uh, uh, sees a socket nearby, freaks out for a second, says, don't worry, that's not my stand. And you know what will happen if you try to pull anything, right, whole horse? As we see Mariah, uh, who also, like Kenny G, was still alive at the end of part three. And whole horse says, uh, give me a break, Mariah. You know I'm a gentleman when it comes to the ladies. Says, don't be silly. Shouldn't you have settled down by now? What, like you and Kenny G? That's not what I'm about. Where's your husband anyway? <laughs> they got married. <laughs> I forgot about this. It's like, oh, I mean, good for them. Uh, she says, uh, Kenny's not coming. I think you know how he feels about you. Anyway, some visitors of mine want to see you. You know, the brothers. They've been freeloading here for a month. I think they've overstayed their welcome. Could you take them with you? Only if you can, of course. Says, uh, one goes down in the dumps after getting cut off by some girl again. Listen, Boingo is the one I need to talk to. Oh, come on. I ain't the type to pull anything while the husband's home. And Mariah asks as he's about to leave, Do you still have dreams? Dreams? You want me to tell you that I'm plagued with nightmares? Sorry, but I'm made of tougher stuff than that. Says, oh, that's rich. Coming from a guy wearing three watches. You've been doing that since that time you got shot in the head, haven't you? Don't be ridiculous. This is just a fashion statement. She says, sometimes I dream about how it was back then, and I wake up in a cold sweat. Dio. Because he's always in those dreams. I wonder why that vampire's been dead for ten years, and the Speedwagon Foundation told me about all the terrible things he did. So why do I still call him Lord Dio in those dreams? I don't have the conviction to say that I wasn't the real me when I was being controlled by him. So was it confirmed that Mariah was being controlled by flesh bugs? I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, she continues, It felt good, giving up my mind and body to an all-powerful being. I even felt pleasure. But even though he never implanted me... Oh, th there we go. Even though he never implanted me with a flesh bud, it wasn't just a stand that was powerful. There was power in Dio's presence itself, the way he moved and spoke. And Hull uh, says, uh, The people who fall for a con man's tricks may be fools, but at the end of the day, their victims are the same. It ain't wor worth beating yourself up over it, Mariah. She says, Whole horse. Did you just call me a fool, you hypocritical? <laughs> it says, You talk big, but you ain't nothing. I better replace that worthless mouse of yours with another hole. Huh? How's that sound, whole horse? It says, With the power of my stand, Bastet, I've turned your body into a magnet. And Whole Horse tries to run away. He says, oh, the joke's gone on too far, Mariah. Uh, he says, I'm stuck to the pipes as a bunch of swords come out to attack him. But they manage to stop just barely as we get my toss predictions are absolute. Even if I don't want them to happen, its predictions can't be changed once they appear. Like the one where it predicted that I'd join you in this parrot hunt. Uh, Boingo, is that you? Long time to see. I'd love to catch up, buddy, but can you get Mariah to call off her stand first? I'd like to, but I'm not going to. Well, look how grown up you are. Look how grown up you are, contradicting yourself like that. Just promise me one thing. Promise me that you'll never get involved with me again. Don't even think about me, because Toth might, pre might predict it. Forget everything you know about me and Toth. What the hell are you saying? I, I can't just forget things on command. Was that so? What a shame. Emory says, give up already, whole horse. I thought I'd give you a good beating for taking advantage of Boinga back then. And he opens the door. She's let off of her stand. He says, I think I figured out why your partner won't show himself, Mariah. And we get, uh, uh, Boingo has made another prediction that they're going to go to Morio. 
and they leave and we get a young woman who says at a grave site says i got into university i can't believe it's been 10 years since you left us and she sees a bird flying over her. she thinks over here it's going to be all right just make sure he doesn't see you okay there's no need to make yourself vomit from fear dio understand and another voice says ryoko chan and the flashback ends says she says out loud what happened to you why did you disappear from our lives why you were my cousin, so why don't, won't you tell me, Noriaki? That, of course, being Noriaki Kakyoin. As uh, she leaves the gravesite and uh, uh, talk, talking on her cell phone, says, yeah, I just finished visiting him. I plan to be here for a few more days, since I probably won't be able to visit as often once classes start. I know, I know. I'll tell Auntie. Okay, bye. And she finds the Oingo Boingo Brothers Adventure Book on the street. And she sees there's a passage there that says, All of a sudden, whole horse hears Dio's voice. And she freaks out and runs in uh, past whole horse, who says, uh, Where'd Boingo head off to now? I went by his book and came all the way to Japan for that brat. He said, Hey, lady, have you seen a guy carrying around a huge manga book? He's about this tall with shaggy hair. And uh, they run away from him. He says, that's weird. I thought everyone in Japan loved Ocean. Uh, I can't remember what Ocean is translated to. But in the midst of this, Whole Horse has a freakout thinking that Dio is behind him. And he looks around as a man is being uh, is about to run him over with a car. He fires off with his gun, uh, his stand, to prevent it. And get, the moment you tried to kill me, you were so calm that you weren't sweating and your breath, breathing was even just what I expected of whole horses. He gives Dio's voice in his brain. He tells himself to you know, calm himself down. He fires off again and again at the car, managing to get in the way. But before it can hit him, we get Dora! As Crazy Diamond appears and Josuke not far behind him, protecting whole horse from the car. And Josuke says, huh. That's, that's a gun you've got there, yeah? It showed up in your hand out of thin air. Could that mean you're the same as me? Well, And Whole Horse says, Well, even if we are, it's not like we're buddies now. You're a stand user? I'm going to have you tell me just who the hell you are. And, yeah, that is the end of the chapter. So this is very promising. Whole Horse and Josuke was not a, a team-up I was ever expecting to happen. Uh, especially a team-up that happens before... You know, the events of the summer of 1999 in part four. So uh, this is absolutely what I'm looking forward to. Uh, whenever this gets released, I don't know if it's monthly or not, but we'll be continue covering this on the podcast. And uh, just hold on one second. So that'll be a lot of fun uh, going over because JoJo's, JoJo's is amazing. And I will always enjoy every bit of that. So we'll move on from that to Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, let's see, this chapter... Oh, sorry. Nope, nope, nope. I always do this. I just need to stop myself from doing this. Uh, we need a moment of silence, please. I skipped over this earlier, too. Uh, for Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Thank you for participating. <laughs> that would never not make me laugh. Um, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, chapter 169, Tokyo Number 1 Colony, part 9. Uh, so Takaba has come to help uh, Fushigoro in this fight. He says, I'll help you, kid. At the ripe age of 35, I can tell from someone's face whether they're good or... And 
Uh, yikes, you've got one bad face. Oh, well, it's all revisionist. It, it's, Megumi says, uh, don't you mean relative? He thinks, uh, he protected me, so I trust him for now. As uh, Reggie asks, uh, what do you think, Hazanoki? I don't know him. It's faster just to ask. Hey, you, which are you? Takapa says, I see. You want to know whether I'm funny or not? So, no, I want to know what time period you're... Look at my costume. It's based on the first superhero who got me to laugh my guts out. With the... So here's a joke to impress your crush. And Reggie says, be ready for an attack. Marry me and be my Wi-Fi. And they both kind of give him a beat panel of, uh, what? So, ah, what a tough crowd. Stiffs like you left your laughs on the womb. And you always sit in the front row. And Megumi says, no, you're the problem. Uh, nevertheless, and he, Megumi thinks, he reminds me of someone he's thinking of Toto. <laughs> I do what I do for you stiffs too, because I'm an entertainer. And he punches a Hazanoki in the face. Uh, oh, excuse me, no, it's, it's a punch or a kick? Oh, it's kick. Kicks him in the face, launching him away. It says, I'm an old school performer who's pro-violence. Your move, kid. Uh, Reggie then goes after Fushigoro. As Megumi says, now we should split them up. That, that curse technique involves exploding body parts and uses a reverse technique to... And Takapa's getting real close to him and says, hey, not so close. Uh, uh, Kagane, show me stats on Hiromi Higuruma. And Fushigoro says, yep. After seeing that the points were given away to Yuji, I says, I'm done with this colony. Uh, back off and I'll let you go. Reggie says, don't get up at you. You killed Hari, so I need to make up for lost points. And Megumi says, hey, you, call me Takaba. If you're going to kill the bomb guy, I'd like you to steal his points first, if at all possible. Okay, kid, I accept your request, but I'm a performer, so whatever I do has got to entertain. So long as you win, I don't care. As Takaba uses a move called Sparking. And he says, but when it comes to variety shows, as uh, uh, he throws one of his eyes at Takaba, Takaba manages to bat it away. How about some fireworks? What a dangerous curse technique. Red is prohibited. Uh, this is meaning blood. It's not really... I, uh, even the translators know it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> As he then uses the... Uh, oh, gosh. What was the move? The Thousand Years of Death from uh, early Naruto. <laughs> Kakashi used uh, right up the behind on the poor guy. And it manages to smash him away. <laughs> and Makui says, I'm glad you are my enemy. <laughs> Twitch Takaba says, I've always wanted to hear that. See you, kid. Stay alive, you hear? And he walks away. And Reggie kind of just looking at the scene like, well, he's dead. Makazanoki that much, and he'll finally go all out. Gumi says, uh, worry about yourself. Well, like I said, I already completed my objective in this colony, so I can fight for real without holding back. So the first time I read this, I wasn't real big on... Uh, what Takaba had to offer this series, but after actually you know, seeing him in action and you know his dumb puns, you know it's like he's pretty enjoyable. I, like I said, this this arc has been one of the greatest introduced to Kaizen, so I'm really enjoying it. So we'll move on. Uh, I'm just going to cover Kaiju number eight briefly since I am still pressed for time. Uh, essentially, uh, Kaiju number nine gets away because you know they're not enough for him and it's all real bad um so this is one of those fights i think it would just read better in a trade or volumes i should say uh, since we're dealing with manga here so 
I... It's not a bad chapter. It's just, I really don't want to cover it. When essentially all that happens is they continue fighting and then Kaiju number nine flies away. So that's that. Um, we'll move on to Magu-chan, God of Destruction. Uh, this will be chapter 72, an errand on a holy night. Uh, so it is uh, around Christmas time and Ruru is freezing, but uh, she asks him, aren't you cold, Magu-chan? You're not wearing anything. He says, I am an unyielding being. Uh, this time, uh, her mom is coming over for Christmas, and Magu says, Christmas, that irritating, heretical, religious ceremony. I shall obliterate it. And she says, if you don't behave, Santa won't bring you any presents. Santa? The heretical messenger Santa Claus, was it? What kind of being is he? She says, well, Santa's an old man who wears red and has a white beard. Uh, on Christmas Eve, he sneaks in through the chimney and leaves presents in your stockings. Most irrational, if he wishes to move covertly. Why does he wear such ostentatious garb? Well, there'll be no end to it if you keep asking questions like that. But you know, when I was a little girl, I saw Santa. I was still half asleep, so I couldn't see too well, but someone dressed in red was leaving a present by my pillow. That's why I love Santa. I hope to get to see him again. We get narration. In an instant, a divine revelation befell the god of destruction. I shall become Santa. <laughs> And uh, he tries to sneak uh, Nato into her socks, because thinking that they're stockings. Uh, and Ru's mom comes home, and Magu's been hung up on a wreath saying, I wasted food. And he's explaining to his mom, uh, to her mom, why that happened. And she says, oh, I see. So you wanted to be like Santa. I thought that if I played Santa, she would throw herself at my feet. I do not understand where I went wrong. Well, there was no way she'd understand that, how you went how you went about it. You need to make it clear that you're Santa. Santa wears red and has a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Hmm, you make a valid point. I like the necessary Santa attire. I shall remedy the situation at once. So he goes to BS, uh, puts some twigs on his head. Says, we must fly, blood-soaked, pitch-dark reindeer, or else we will not make it in time for Christmas Eve. So he asks uh, Naputaku and Rin if he can borrow a sled. As Rin remembers, he has to get a gift for Ruru. And Magu says, I have my reindeer and sleigh. All that's left is the red garb and white facial hair. And most important of all, a gift for my disciple. Perhaps I will try another look in the storage room of my abode. Red garb, that's not the right red. Hmm. Clearly this is red garb and a white beard. I cannot ask for something more fitting. With these, you will have no choice but to acknowledge me as Santa. All that remains is a gift. As Ruru's mom is remembering how, you know, when... Uh, Ruba's dad was alive. He had pretended to be Santa for her. Uh, and that's what she's remembering. Uh, we flash over to Magu and uh, BS. This is the last item on the agenda. Something to fulfill the materialistic needs of my disciple. As long as I have human clothing, procuring gifts will be easy. I have just the answer to our present. That would be most suitable for Christmas. And there's this older lady. Her shop is about to, you know, be closing forever. She's about to retire. She sees uh, Magu in a... You know, Santa outfit looking very uh, suspect at this moment in time. He says, you dare, lo foolish, lowly human. Bestow upon me the scarf that wraps around the neck. In return for your offering, I will destroy any one thing that you desire. In an instant, a divine revelation befell the boutique owner, Fumi Kawano. Upon meeting a superior being so far beyond human comprehension, she lost her sanity. <laughs> she says, Don't even worry about paying for it. She says, Thank you. <laughs> so later on, uh, later, she would establish the new apparel brand called Fujisawa, a stretchy and impervious to the cold. Her novel designs gained a cult following of consumers, though the god of destruction would know nothing about it. 
And on Christmas Eve, Mongoose says, I have assembled everything to turn me into Santa Claus. Now is the time to carry out Christmas. So she's asleep. Except this, my disciple, the real Santa Claus has manifested. What is the matter? This is a noble gift directly from me. Do you hear me, you foolish, lowly human? I am Santa Claus. Could it be? And he touches her. She's dead asleep? I underestimated the, the slothfulness of lowly humans. Hmm. The time of your cur curfew draws near, B.S. Curses, my plan for domination has been foiled. Aunt Ruru opens her eye and has a bit of a smile on her face. And the following morning, Merry Christmas. Look at this, when I woke up, the scarf was by my side. Do you think Santa brought it for me? And Magu kind of pouts says, you cannot fathom the value of that piece of cloth. Wow, it's so warm and cute and it looks pricey. <laughs> Thanks, Santa. And Ruru's mom says, you're not the only one who got something. Magu-chan did too. Look at that bag. A present for me? I did not see this last night. When did it get here? This is... And he finds a scarf. Oh, good. That scarf fits you perfectly, Maku-chan. But who? Since you were a good boy who believed in Santa, he brought you a present. He bestowed upon me, his enemy, an offering. That Santa Claus has quite a strange way of thinking. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maku-chan. Lots and lots of good fun. So we'll move from that uh, to Mashable Magic and Muscles, uh, Chapter 90, Mash Bernadette and the Electromagnetic Cannon. <laughs> Sorry, this was funny. I would have mentioned this at the beginning, but I, I started watching a certain scientific railgun and a certain magical index. Uh, I I'll talk more in depth about them in a later show. Uh, but the fact that they just two lined up was just kind of perfect. <clears throat> uh, so we start off. Uh, so apparently his full name is Levis Rosequartz. So... I have been right and wrong this whole time. And he says, listen, you can spout your lofty ideals all you want, but they're never going to be more than fluff to me. If you really want to prove you're right, you'll have to beat me first, but you should know that even after all you've done to hang on, I've yet to even break a sweat. My victory is all but certain. Magnets, lightning second. It matches, uh, what now? By combining two types of magic, I can bring forth an even more powerful second. An invariable railgun. <laughs> Fire! And he fires off the railgun at Mash. He says, I don't get it. <laughs> Levis continues, This is in your ordinary cannon. Thanks to the Lorentz force, this magic uses a powerful electric charge to create a magnetic field that prop propels a given object along the rails with explosive amounts of force at almost incalculable speeds. Uh, and Mash says, Okay, it doesn't matter if you explain it. I still don't get it. <laughs> Levis continues, The projectiles fly at Mach 7. That's around 8,000 kilometers an hour. I can decimate an entire country with this. I can compete with the visionaries and more. But right now, what I'm going to do is aim my second. Right at your little friend, Mash Bernadette, as he points at a dot. No more dodging for you, assuming you really care about your hanger-on, that is. Now show me the power of your friendship. And Dot freaks out and says, Mash, just forget about me, and... Mash has turned his wand into a baseball bat. And he starts narrating, says, Fourth up the bat, bat, bat. Our center fielder, fielder, fielder. Mash, burna, 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 dead, dead, dead. <laughs> and Levis laughs and says, That's how you plan to stop my second? Do you have any brains up there at all? The rate of, This rate of speed is incomprehensible. No one can beat a projectile traveling 8,000 kilometers an hour. And then Mash hits it. <laughs> it's just to deflect it with the baseball bat. Levis says, What? 8,000. No human can match that speed. And Mesh says, well, if you studied the windup, it's not that hard to hit a fastball. Or maybe sports ju are just incomprehensible to you. 
Shut up. Our roles in society are decided from birth. Minus to be on top of guys like you and he shoots him again. And Mash deflects it again. It's... And he's thinking, I'm the son of the head of the Bureau of Magic. I was practically born to be on top. I wanted the truly elite. And Mesh deflects another one. And I needed to be the best. I used any and every means necessary. I was doing it. I was crushing every magic user in my way. I'm at the zenith of the magic using world. And I'm... And Mesh deflects it one more time. I'm losing to a muscle head who can't even use magic. And Mesh appears right in front of Levis. says, so, you'd said something before about how you hadn't even broken a sweat. Well you have now and then mash punches him right in the face ending the chapter tremendous chapter from mashal uh like I, said, I wish i had more time to discuss this but my 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 time is slowly dying uh so we'll go over to uh, uh my hero academia uh number three and 38 the story of how we all became heroes part one uh Sukuuchi, uh after midori had told uh, Aoyama that, you know, he too can be a hero, says, yeah, not so fast, Midoriya. Uh, Sansa, go ahead and gag young Aoyama, and no, there, there will be no hand-holding, he's in police custody, so at least someone here is being responsible, and he goes and explains, like, it'd be very dangerous for them to allow him to continue, they don't know if he's, you know, uh, being rigged to explode. <clears throat> uh, Deku tries to interject, but, uh, it's actually, um, oh gosh, oh, why am I blanking on your name? Uh, uh, Kaminari! says, if nothing else, maybe we can steer the villains the way the villains join to fight. And Mama says, looking at it from another angle, as if now there's only one person who could possibly deceive all for one. And President Mike tries to stop them, says, hey, can you really trust this guy now after what he's doing? You guys are all victims. But Ida says, that is all in the past. The responsibility also lies with us for being unable to perceive what lay in his heart, which is precisely why, when we witness our classmate weeping in despair, our urge is to reach out to him as friends, to allow him to take our hand, because that is the only way we can once again make him our equal, our peer. And Bakugo says, The crap I went through because of him, five good shots of my howitzer should make us even. And Sarah says, oh, That's a little extreme, don't you think? Kirishima yells like, that's right! Aoyama, you thought you were helpless against all for one, yeah? That's why you obeyed. But things have changed. You tried to get your folks to put an end to this bad deal, didn't you? When we tr went to grab Midori off the streets, did a single one of us give him crap for being quirkless at one point? Did we hold it against the dude for sleep, keeping that a secret, for holding back those tears? Aoyama, can st we can still stand strong, together. And Tsukuchi was like, one more like, hey guys, let's stop this. But Aizawa, who has been on an iPad all this time... <laughs> Uh, from his hospital bed. Now it goes through a speech of how, like, look, we're responsible for this too. It says, Aoyama, I still have no intention of expelling you. As Class A's homeroom teacher, I have an idea. Detective, cover the Aoyama family's ears for a minute. He explains it. He says, we'll need to inspect each and every location. And as it says, it certainly seems feasible. And they told the rest of you, keep this in the strictest confidence. Got it. And Deku calls out for Aoyama as he's leaving, but he doesn't say anything. Uh, the rest of them are ready to prepare. So Ida and Deku are going to the development studio to uh, get some uh, <clears throat> uh, new outfits. And as soon as Deku opens the door, <laughs> him fully expecting this to happen, uh, there's an explosion and he's forced back as he gives a look to Ida like, yep, deja vu. And of course, oh, what could it be? But Mei Hatsume is on top of his body with her breasts on top of his face. Oh, wow, this is so amazing. But what actually makes this, for the first time this has happened funny, is the look of determination on uh, Deku's face. It's like, yeah, I'm on a mission right now, so uh, can't be distracted by these. 
Oh, boy. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, then we'll move on from there uh, to My Hero uh, Vigilantes, uh, chapter 116 in Darkness. Uh, so I I'm going to summarize this one, too. Unfortunately, I don't have the time. Uh, so Koichi has a moment inside of his head thinking, and Knuckle Duster shows up and, you know, kind of encourages him. It's like, look, guy, you can do this. We all believe in you. I, I believe in you. It's like, you just got to learn from this experience here, even though you're down. Uh, Koichi then stands up and goes into uh, a form where <clears throat> uh, called Knuckle Style. So, like I said, I'm, I'm very sorry that we have to cut that one short, but that's just how things are. I'll go there from there to uh, One Piece, uh, chapter 1035, Zoro versus King. So Sanji has managed uh, to retrieve uh, the little mouse that, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Osome had lost, gives it back to her, and she tells him thank you. And Sanji remembers how he used to cook food for the rats uh, forever ago uh, when he was in prison. Uh, but he asks her, but are you all right? But then he starts to collapse. We get Battle of the Pleasure Hall, Left Brain Tower, winner, Sanji. And if somebody is yelling, oh, someone help, we need the medical kit. Zoro continues to fight as we flash over there with King. And Zoro thinks, I was right, when the flames on his back go out, he can move a little faster, but his defensive ability drops in response. And oh no, he's taking off his mask and he's hot. <laughs> uh, the other pirates are freaking out. And they say, oh, so the rumors were true. Black wings, white hair, brown skin. What was the reward for tipping off the government? A hundred million berries? As King brings off his flaming sword, points it at them. It's his imperial flaming wings, and it looks like they are incinerated. Uh, potentially to death. I mean, this may be one piece, but... Mm. And Zora says, uh, uh, the castle's burning already. already. The castle's already burning down as it is. I figured you'd treat your men better. If they're distracting you, why not come up here? Did you hear something about a hundred million just for a tip-off? What are you, anyway? King says, nothing that's going to matter to a man about to die as he turns into his pterodactyl form and uh, continues to fight with Sanji. And he tells him that Kaido is the man who will be king of the pirates. As a flashback to, I believe, when he was in Punk Hazard. And Kaido rescued him and says, Oh, the Narian, eh? No wonder the government wouldn't give you up. I saw those endurance tests they put you through. I'm breaking out of this place and starting a new pirate crew. What do you say, guinea pig? And uh, King asks, can you change the world we live in? I'm the only one who can change it. And I kind of ask, what's your name? Auber. You're strong, Auber, but from now on, you're king. Stand under my wing, and will anyone else have you? From this day on, you're my right-hand man. <clears throat> As in the present, uh, Zoro uses the move, Purgatory Onigiri. And they clash with one another. Again and again. And uh, King says, so it seems you figured out the rules of my body. That's right. And Zora says, that's right. Finally envisioning your own defeat. Why bother to block my attacks? I thought they did nothing to you. Unless you're scared of what I can do. King says, you are biologically incapable of defeating me. <laughs> Zora says, there's nothing I hate more than weak excuses. I'll keep you in my memory as the, as the feisty swordsman you were. I'll carve it into you myself, assuming you survived to remember me. And we get extra large imperial flaming wings. And Zora says, King of Hell, Three Sword Serpent, 103 Mercies, Dragon Damnation. And he manages to seemingly defeat King. 
It's an excellent chapter of uh, One Piece this week. Uh, once again, pressure time, so we're going to move on to uh, One Punch Man. Uh, this is chapter uh, 155. Uh, I did not get the title, so uh, what is oh, results? Results was the title. Uh, King, seeing Saitama and the rest come up, says, Oh, Mr. Saitama! And he runs after him. Uh, everyone's worried, like, how did we get here? What's going on? And they notice Garo in the distance. And Saitama rushes seemingly at Garo, but then runs right past him to Genos, who, uh, as per the fandom, has once again become a piece of modern art. And Saitama says, You got wrecked again, huh, Genos? Are you okay? He says, Master. And Sunday asks, is that the guy who wrecked you? No. The enemy Kadra and I were str I was struggling with King. King took care of him with his ultimate move. And Sunday thinks, King's ultimate move? I can only think of that infinite combo from that game. But it's strange. I can feel the same ultra-high energy of King's ultimate move coming from that monster. It could be a malfunction. And Garrow asks, what happened to me? Not to mention this body. I don't even remember sur resurfacing from underground. I lost consciousness underground. Buried in the rubble then... I was dreaming about the past. I can perceive the hesitation in your fists. Uh, this is um, uh, Bang saying this. Uh, first train your heart, then follow the voice of your heart. As Fleshy Flash in the uh, present tries to attack him. Says, what? You are S-Class rank 13, Fleshy Flash? You're a hero, yet you sucker kick me like that? And Fleshy Flash says, are you the only survivor of the Monster Association? You really made a massive mess of things out here. Are you the Monster King boss? Monster King? <laughs> I guess there was someone like that, huh? You better remember this well. My name is Garo. I'm the one who's going to rise to disaster-level god and straighten this world out. Just so you know, I've got nothing to do with the Monster Association. They can't fit me into that, into that pathetic little box, you know. And I get from off-screen, Platinum's friend saying, Just as I had thought, allow me to pass through for a moment as he hits the both of them, but they manage to, to uh, deflect the blows. You have monsterized that much, but still do not have the courage to choose the side of the monsters. How disappointing. We should have disposed of you from the very start. And Flashy Flash kind of wipes off his cloak, says, Well, there was one more left then. Thanks for coming out and saving me the trouble of searching for you. I'll take you both on at once. You shall fall to the S-Class hero, Flashy Flash's superior techniques. And Garo kind of punches his hand and says, I'll take on anyone who wants a fight. Absolute evil is unbiased, you know. Heroes, monsters, I will slaughter every last one of them and rise up to become the ultimate symbol of fear, disaster-level god. Come get some. As they all rush at each other over and over again, And a lot of really good panels uh, from Murata here. Uh, King comes down, says, I knew you'd do it for us, Mr. Saitama. Do what? Anyway, good thing you didn't get hurt. And King says, I, I believed in you. I knew you'd show up. I was so scared, though. Uh, I did everything I could as a stone. But then he sees Genis there, and uh, she says, uh, so, <clears throat> I was afraid I wouldn't be able to show you the fruits of my labors, but I sure am glad you made it in time, Mr. Saitama. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean as a stone? He says, uh, uh, my kidney stones, you know. And then he points at Genos and says, Mr. Genos risked his life to save Miss Tatsumaki. It was truly admirable. Oh, so that's why. You really hung in there, Genos. Nice fight. And Genos actually almost has a smile on his face. He says, Master, when the time came for me to self-destruct, I was no longer able to do it. Can one truly say I've become stronger? I don't really get it, but you didn't blow up, right? And he grabs a hold of his chest and says, That means this part here got stronger too, doesn't it? And an awesome colored panel because the the fight between the three of them is still happening in the background uh, and this wonderful geometric shapes oh it's just beautiful 
And then Jenna smiles. Says, Master, it's all thanks to you and Dr. Kusino. Well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> so we get narration. That day, there were confirmations of a geometric structure of light covering the city uh, sky of a Z city. This was reported by all parties to be another supernatural phenomenon attributed to Tatsumaki and the other espers. However, little, little did anyone but the people on site know that these were the trails of a battle between three th superhuman beings. As they continue brawling again with one another, everyone's getting a moment uh, to continue <clears throat> yeah, wailing on the others, and Garo is trying to make an, a new name for his attack. Says, Since it's connected to disaster level god, I'll name it Monster Calamity God Fist. No, wait. Monster Calamity God Slayer Fist! In order to dominate this world as the absolute evil and beat down humanity into an abyss of despair, something as unreliable as God shall be crushed by my hand as well. As we see in the underground city underneath this, God himself has appeared to manifest in some form. But we move away to a super nuclear attack carrier called Goat's Oki. Not sure what that's a reference to if it is. As evil natural water has entered the ocean, becoming evil natural ocean and capsizes the nuclear vessel nuclear vessel <laughs> oh gosh it just keeps getting better and better uh, uh, reading through this uh, when one was doing it was amazing but then to see Murata's art behind it oh my gosh I love one punch man uh so sorry i have to go with this breakneck pace uh final manga of the night um spy family uh 58-1 <clears throat> Uh, mission 58-1. Uh, Lloyd is training Bond with Frankie to you know, take down an opponent. And Bond is not really into it because, you know, he doesn't want to hurt people. But then they bring up the fact that, you know, because of the tests he had to do uh, that he was working on, he may have a little dog PTSD. So Lloyd takes him out for a walk. <clears throat> and uh, Bond has a vision of a kid's ice cream being lost. Uh, so he goes off to help save the kid, but in the process, uh, thinking that Lloyd would think this was a good idea, actually knocks the ice cream over and making the kids upset. And Lloyd says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll buy you a new one. And the kid runs off, so yeah, three scoops of ice cream. And uh, Lloyd says, trying to steal someone else's food? That's not like you. Why would you do that? Are you that hungry? As Bond looks around and he sees uh, an old man... Uh, who's about to be run over by a bicycle, and he goes off uh, rushing, uh, pulling Lloyd with him, says, what's wrong with you today? Uh, and he saves the man, saying, ah, who says, God, get this rabid beast off of me, as the bicycle runs off in front of him. And Lloyd says, binding strangers like that is absolutely unacceptable. Clearly, I need to get stricter about your training. As Bond goes, oh, now if Anya were here, she would understand exactly why I was doing this, but he can't because they can't read his thoughts like she can't. And Lloyd thinks this makes no sense. He completed socialization and obedience training with ease. He's shown no hint of disciplinary problems. My understanding of Bond is lacking. It's the same with Anya. <laughs> uh, training little children, training a dog, pretty much the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, he has another sign of uh, seeing someone <clears throat> you know, in danger, but uh, he gets a sense that Lloyd would you know, be upset about that, so he stops. But they pass by a burning building. And there's a woman freaking out that, you know, her little daisy is in there. And Bon, uh, excuse me, no, he's having a vision of this, so he goes off in that direction. And, so, and Lloyd thinks, was he re reacting to the smell? 
And he says out loud, was anyone still inside? And the man says, luckily we got everyone out in time. So many fires lately. Some people are saying it's arson. But the woman is still screaming, Daisy, my Daisy. And Bond rips off his collar uh, by biting into it. And Lloyd says, stop, you fool. There's no one in there. And he's thinking, could his nose be telling him otherwise? And Lloyd runs in after him. And Bond has managed to find a little uh, pug named Daisy. And uh, Lloyd says, a puppy. Someone left a dog behind? And he smiles. He says, you're just full of surprises today. He starts coughing because of, you know, the carbon uh, monoxide, dioxide, whichever one of two it is. Please correct me in the comments. <laughs> uh, you're just full of surprises today. Uh, oh, I understand that. We need to get out of here. Can you run like that? Stay low to the ground. As uh, some debris falls down, blocking their exit. And Bond's looking around. So, oh, Bond looks like he's starting to panic. I have to keep him calm. What do we do? I need to think of something fast. And that is the end of the chapter. So, excellent chapter, Spy Family. Uh, once again, I'm very sorry for the rush way I had to do this. It's really the only time this week I had time to do this, so, but it was I have other responsibilities I need to do right now. So, uh, thank you all for listening in. Uh, we are Starving Writers Guild. We are here to help other writers uh, to find their ways to uh, independently publish their work. Uh, we offer editing services as well. We are MC Ashley, uh, John Transylvania, Barbara Page. Uh, you can find us at StarvingWritersGuild.com. You can find our work there as well. Also with Amazon.com, uh, we can find it under the names I've given you. Uh, so until next time, see ya.